Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links as we are on the road to the big BTL tournament that kicks off in a couple of weeks. And as a matter of fact, two of the individuals who will take part in said tournament are here today to discuss a wide array of topics in the world of mixed martial arts. So let us introduce them first. He's back from his sabbatical. He wanted to knock a little rust off before the big tournament. He's been a wedding guest, even uh, officiated a wedding, I believe. So let us say hello to, as far as some people are concerned these days, the second coolest member of the MMA fighting community that resides in Georgia. Jed Mishu, or should I call you uh, Justice Mishu? How are you, buddy? Although Connor doesn't live in Georgia anymore. Like, Connor doesn't live in Georgia, and I have tenure on him, so get in line, bro. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I did officiate a wedding. It's the third one of those I've done. So if anybody out there is in need of a semi-literate wedding officiant, my rates are very reasonable. <laughs> And you could have a potentially the undisputed BTL champion heading into 2022 officiate your wedding. It doesn't get much better than that. And joining us once again, yeah, go ahead. Let's say you can. I I can you know make my uh, eulogy is not the word. What's the invocation? I I can give you some hot takes out there. I I I can do it all. So you guys let me know if you're in in the market. Back once again, he has been knocking off journalists, he's been knocking off musicians on the show in Jed's absence, and many believe he's actually one of the favorites to win this big tournament. Mr. Damon Martin, how are you, sir? I am good, I'm good, good boy. Happy to be back and happy to have a a challenger that's almost worthy to me, almost. (laughs) It's funny, everybody wants a piece of Jed right now, but to to kind of, I don't know if disappoint people is is the word I'm going to use here, but... Here's how this is going to go, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to be the same kind of show. Damon and Jed will go back and forth. I might jump in, but 
we're not doing points today, nothing like that. We're going to have ourselves a no-holds-barred little round table today. We're going to save the official competitions, the judging for the tournament, but you guys still get out there and get after it. But to our wonderful listeners, if you want to chime in on who you think won, if you want to go that route, go right ahead. You know how to do that, but everything else stays the same. This is more for the listeners' pride rules than UFC rules, with the folks having a, a, a say in the matter, should they choose. So the pressure is somewhat off here. The gloves are off as well. Let's get into this. Let's talk about what capped off UFC Vegas 40 this past weekend because the big debate coming out of this card and it needed storylines for sure heading in and it needed them even more coming out this conversation is still going on the cornering of aspen lads head coach and boyfriend jim west many thought it was too harsh the longer the fight went misha tate used words such as abuse Others, such as Daniel Cormier, Laura Sanko, to name a couple of people, basically said, look, this is fighting. Sometimes you need tough love to get over the hump. We've gotten way worse. And Lad did look and, and seemed to turn things around in the fourth and fifth round. So maybe the advice worked a little bit. But still, she went out and lost the fight to Norma Dumont. So, Jed, to peel down the wall here, you, you just watched this, like, moments ago. So you're getting as fresh of a take as you can give here. Your thoughts on the cornering? Was it too much? Was it just right? Was it bad? Is it an overreaction? What did you think of it? Uh, I, I'm i glad that I was not paying attention to MMA for the last couple of weeks, really, as I was busy with weddings. I'm particularly glad I have not seen anything but Jim Miller's uh, you know, great, great KO from last weekend. And I'm super glad I was not part of this conversation because <clears throat> I cannot believe that this is a conversation all due respect to Misha Tate um, who is welcome to have her opinion uh, I'm whoever shares that opinion with her uh, I I don't see the problem if if Aspen Ladd has a problem with it uh, then certainly that's an issue uh, to the best of my knowledge she hasn't said anything uh, and uh, I am I don't want to make this statement as I don't want to have the weight to this statement that will probably come with it, but it feels honestly a little sexist that we're having this conversation because like it feels as if the conversation, the roots of it are in, he used a bad word when talking to a lady like, no, she's a grown woman. She's a professional fighter. And he said shit or whatever the hell it was and was trying to motivate her. I, do I think it was good cornering? Honestly, no. I don't think it was good cornering. Um, I, I thought a lot of what he, what Jim West was doing was pretty decent cornering. They were giving her constructive things to do in there, not just be like, you know, hit him or whatever. Like they were trying to to give some tactical advice in there. But uh, I think at, a good corner would probably have recognized that what they were doing and the frustration they were taking out uh, was not having the effect they were looking for and tried to change tax. But the overall tenor of what happened, like, I, he cursed. Okay, he was trying to motivate his fighter. I, I don't I don't know what the conversation here is. Like, Aspen Ladd does not need to be protected. He didn't, like, slap her to get her going or do anything. Like, he was just like, hey, you're losing this fight. Do better. And she didn't, I, I guess. I haven't seen the fight, so I can't really say if she did or didn't do better. But I, I don't really understand it. Uh, I think there's a lot else to unpack with the Jim West Aspen Ladd situation if you want to get into that. 
Uh, but as far as just the nuts and bolts of what happened here, I, I don't get it. And if it's just as simple as like, that's cornering that wouldn't work for Misha Tate. Okay. But you, my, my standard is, you know, it, is the fighter okay with it? If there, if Aspen lad doesn't have any issues with it, I sure as hell don't. A lot to unpack there. Um, Damon, let, 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 and let's just throw this out there. Before Aspen Ladd competed against Norma Dumont, she fought Yana Kuditskaya and was down two rounds, and Jim West tore her a new one before that third round, and Aspen Ladd went out and finished her. But this has still been a conversation. You recently talked to Matt Brown about this. He did not have an issue with the tone, with the context. He didn't think it was a tremendous example of coaching, but didn't think he actually crossed any lines. What did you think? I'm sure you've watched it a million times at this point now. Yeah, I think this is to you know to agree with Jay. This is one of the most ridiculous conversations we've ever had in terms of criticism in this sport. Listen, most of the time when we have a problem with cornering in the fight world, it's the opposite of this. It's when a corner is basically blowing smoke, you know, with their fighters saying, "You're doing great out there. You won that round. You won- it was close, but you won that round. Let's go back out there." And and everyone watching is like, "What are you talking about? You did not win that round. You're down three rounds or whatever. Why are you lying to your fighter? Why are you boosting them up when they're clearly they need like a kick in the butt to go out and actually win the fight?" That's usually the criticism we hear for corners and coaches, and I think you know again, rightly so, uh, because you're sitting there thinking to yourself, how are they going to you know forge a comeback if they're down two rounds or three rounds or whatever, and they're not being told the truth about what's actually happening out there? Uh, I agree with Matt that I don't know that what he was saying was helping her in terms of the technical aspects of the fight. What was he doing to counter that one-two that Norma Dumont kept just basically plugging away and hitting Aspen Ladd with and she had no answers for? He tried to give her that technical advice in the first and second, third round. And then after that, he just got frustrated as we all were. And when he originally said that, he said, what are you doing out there? Because I don't know. I wanted to quote that and put it up and say, he's saying what all of us are thinking right now because it's true. She was basically standing in front of Norma Dumont getting hit with a jab and a punch behind it over and over and over and over again and making zero adjustments. So was he harsh? Sure. Was he was he animated? Sure. Did he really help her in the technical aspects of the fight to, to really help her counter what Norma Dumont was doing later in the fight? Not really, but she hadn't reacted to what he had said technically in the first couple of rounds. So at what point are we going to say the technical advice isn't working? Maybe she needs to have a fire lit under her to go back out there and fight. And, you know, she actually did have a better performance in rounds four and five when he was kind of going after her and saying, hey, this is ridiculous. Like, you got to do something out there. She reacted a little bit. It didn't win her the fight. And, you know, of course, let's give credit where credit's due to Norma Dumont for doing a good job. But, yeah, I mean, listen, cornering is not a one-size-fits-all. What one fighter needs is not what another fighter needs. And if this is what Aspen Ladd needs or this is the relationship that they have and that's what she needs to go back out there and have a better performance, who are we to say we're wrong Versus another fighter who says, "Listen, I need, you know, I need positivity. I need, you know, I need a good positive corner for me to fight." Okay, again, not a one size fits all. I appreciate Misha Tate's opinion. She's a legend. She's got every right to her opinion. Uh, but I feel like, you know, maybe this is a per- more personal experience for her that it wouldn't work for her. Maybe she's gone through something similar like that and it didn't work for her. And I could completely understand that. But that's not Aspen Ladd's experience. And she's not come out. She's not left her coach. And if she does, even if she does leave her coach and say, hey, I'm done, I'm moving to a different team, and I don't want that guy in my corner, that still doesn't necessarily mean he was wrong. He was wrong in that moment. But it didn't mean that he was 
a bad guy or he was abusive. It just means he didn't give good advice. Yeah, and it, it, we, we talked about this a lot on the post-fight show, and people were asking, like, do you think maybe Misha kind of saw herself in Aspen a little bit because of the relationship with Brian Caraway and all that, and maybe she she dealt, with, like you said, Damon, with, with similar things in the past, but only a few people know the, the true answer to that. But my sort of take on it was I, I didn't really blame Jim, and I, like if I'm going to blame anybody, it's on the onus is on Aspen, but at the same time, she has been through a lot over the last couple of years, the last couple of months. Crap, even like the last couple of weeks. And I think sort of all that emotion boiled over as she walked to the cage. And it's important to remember that, yeah, these these athletes, they're professional fighters, but they're also like, they're people outside of the cage. And there's enough that goes into fights as it is from an emotional standpoint. But Lad went through a ton with the injuries, the torn ACL and MCL, lost an opponent when she's ready to return the day before weigh-ins, 48 hours before the fight, then she gets rebooked, she misses weight herself, fight is pulled, and now she's main eventing two weeks later in a new weight class. That's a lot to process. So let me ask you this, David. Can she get past all this, now adding the loss and the whole coaching controversy, and should she stick around at 145 or do everything she can to get back to 135 in a safe and healthy manner? Yeah, that's a good question. I wish I knew the you know, the definite. My, my initial answer is yeah, she could come back from this because I really do believe Aspen Ladd is an incredibly talented fighter. I mean, I I thought for a long time she was kind of the last woman standing at 135 who might offer Noon, you know, Nunez some sort of challenge because I don't think anyone else in the division will for right now. I mean, you know, again, uh, no offense to Juliana Pena, I don't favor her to win that fight. And I don't necessarily consider it a bad matchup for Amanda Nunes, as some people are trying to paint that. Uh, I thought Aspen Ladd being, you know, a, a good ground fighter, strong, big for the division. I thought maybe she could actually develop over time into a legitimate threat to Amanda Nunes somewhere down the road. So I still think she has that ability. But for one, she's got to get the weight cutting thing figured out. Is she going to bulk up, put on weight, become muscular, and fight at 145 permanently? Which we know there are diminishing returns there because they don't actually have a 145-pound division in the UFC. They have a champion. They don't have a division. Uh, or is she going to work with a nutritionist, work with a coach, and figure out the way she could fight at 135? Because here's the thing. If you follow Aspen Ladd on social media, and I do, she's out hiking like 19 miles a day. It's not like she's not out there doing things to get her body in shape, and she's just lazy. I just don't think she knows what she's doing with her body in terms of nutrition and getting down to weight cutting. Now, if her body just cannot fight at 135, it is just she is just too big for that, then yeah, she should get, I won't say give up, but she should work towards a feature 145, but I think she's still got tremendous potential. I refuse to give up on what, what is she, 24, 25? 26. She's 26, yeah, 26 years old. I refuse to give up on her after one really bad performance. It's not like she went out there and got knocked out or got knocked down nine times and lost rounds, you know, 10 7. She lost a boring fight. And Norma Dumont did a great job with what she needed to do to win that fight, but she didn't lose in a blowout. She just didn't show up. She literally just didn't show up. So I refuse to give up on her. At 26, uh, you know, off of, of a, just a bad performance against, I think, Norman Dumont's a pretty solid fighter. So, no, I, she can bounce back from this. I think, she, I think honestly, the coaching thing, set that aside. I think the dynamic of coach and boyfriend, maybe we need to address that more because that does create a lot of 
you know, that's a whole other conversation about how much of a conflict of interest that could be. Uh, it happens a lot in our sport, but again, that's just the reality we're dealing with here. But I think the bigger problem is where is she going to fight at? Is she going to fight at 135 or is she going to commit to 145? I think that's the bigger issue than her coach yelling at her and the dynamic with Jim West. Again, I think that should be addressed, but uh, I don't think that's the bigger issue than where she's going to fight. Jed, what do you think? Because, I mean, you didn't watch the fight, but I mean, she didn't look out of place at 145. She looked like she fits into the division. Her and Norma Dumont were almost the exact same size. Like, there were points where Dumont was the more powerful fighter, and then down the stretch, Ladd showed that she she has some power at 145, and she could move and have some control with uh, the positions and stuff like that. So 145, 135, what are your, kind of your thoughts without actually seeing the fight? And do you agree with Damon that maybe we should address it? Because you mentioned it. Like, if you want to talk about the Jim West Aspen Lad thing, maybe there's more to it than that. What do you think? So a lot to unpack there. Uh, I'll answer the first part very quickly. 145 is in division, so she can't fight there. It's not a division. It's a fake one. Uh, if the UFC really, really decides to put time and energy into building it, Okay, but until such time, they don't have rankings. There are three 145 fighters on roster for the UFC. Like, it, it's just not a real division. And we, as the media, need to be better about just calling that like it is. 145 is a real division in Bellator. They have actually actively put time and energy into trying to develop something there. So if Aspen Lab wants to go to Bellator and do that, cool. If not, she's just a puffed up 135er taking 145 fights because there are a few women who can't quite make that weight. And the UFC is still interested in keeping that division around almost exclusively, I think, because they got, you know, the greatest female fighter of all time, two titles, and they don't just want to let that go. But as soon as Amanda Nunes retires, that division is gone. They've done nothing to try and promote it. So uh she needs to i i like damon don't think that she is stuck at one you know 145 i think she can make 135 i mean i know it's been a few years and she has obviously grown but she used to compete at flyweight in her amateur days like she fought cynthia calvillo um like she i think she can make 135 it's it's a matter of discipline and you know probably getting a nutritionist and living a harder life i'm not saying it would be an easy 135 it would require kind of year-round discipline probably, but I don't think that that uh, should be a real big blocker for her. And so she needs to compete at the division where she is highly ranked uh, and can make a legitimate run in a title. Uh, so, yeah, pretty simple on that. Uh, to go to the Jim West thing, I don't know how much we want to get into, delve into the, the various vagaries there, but I will say that in defense of Misha Tate's argument, you heard my stance earlier. I think largely this is a non-issue. I think if this was a dude telling this to another dude, we wouldn't even sort of be having this conversation, um, which I kind of, in my mind, speaks a little bit to still kind of implicit biases uh, and, and gender roles in the sport. But uh, if you, if you, you know, you're Misha Tate, and I, I don't want to speak for her, but I think that really the only aspect to to her argument or her perspective here that could ring true or certainly has at least a nugget in there is that they are in a personal relationship and as best as i can tell they you know aspen lad and jim west have been dating for some time and aspen lad is 26 years old and he has had a long coaching relationship with her and so that does shift the dynamics on you know how, how these kind of conversations could be perceived um and i think that there's a legitimate question 
about how all that goes. Still, ultimately, I think that this is probably a lot more innocuous than it has been made out to be, and we're we're bit bit making a mountain out of a molehill. But I think that there is a real conversation to be had there. And just as a baseline, I know it happens all the time. It's really not that hard to not date people you work with and or coach. Pretty easy to just not date them. So you should probably just do that if you are a future MMA coach in the making. Just don't date your students the same way lawyers don't date clients and doctors don't date patients. Really, really simple. There are 7 million people in the world date someone that you don't have a direct professional relationship with. There you go. I wish Casey was here. He'd probably have some sort of sound effect. But Aspen Lad, <laughs> biggest story heading in. Aspen Lad's, despite the loss, biggest story heading out. And we have Norma Dumont, who is completely overshadowed by all of this. She goes out, wins her first main event. I scored it four rounds to one, and to quote the great Jed Mishu, MMA fighting's official stance on the fight was 49-46 for Norma Dumont. It was not the most exciting fight. It was far from the most exciting fight, with all due respect to both athletes. But at the end of the day, Dumont won. She won convincingly, and she wants a title fight. Or worst case, if Amanda Nunes wants to stick around at 135, she says, you know what? Let's just rebook the Holly Holm fight, do it at 145, and slap an interim title on there. So as strange as it may sound... I think one of those things will happen. I feel like her next fight will be for a title. Or if the UFC can get Kayla Harrison on the roster when that time comes, maybe she gets that fight with Kayla Harrison. Either way, despite what you thought of the fight and the performance, I think she's going to get a big fight next. Do you agree with that, Jed? I mean, I think she should. And that's, again, I haven't seen this fight. And I'll be honest with all of you BTL listeners. I'm not going to see this fight until <laughs> I need to do some video breakdown of either of these women later. But there, everything I have heard is that nothing good happened this weekend. Um, and so I'm not going to spend the time to go watch 25 minutes of that, uh, at least not right now. But even with that being said, you know, uh, the un one of the unfortunate parts about this conversation taking place is that even if it's not, you know, the world, she didn't light the world on fire. It's still a really good win for Norm Dumont, like who has very quietly put together a really good resume in the UFC in a division that doesn't exist. Um, but you know, uh, she had, she, Ashley Evan Smith is a, like, that is a, that's a professional fighter who she defeated. Felicia Spencer is, is an actual featherweight in so far as, you know, that's division. Uh, and she got a win there. And Aspen Ladd, who, you know, is a really good prospect, even now, even coming off the loss and having lost two of her last three. Like, Norma Dumont is not some somebody anybody's really talked about or been high on or, hey, this is a future champion. And I'm still not saying she's a future champion, but had a really good run. And, you know, a, a win is a win, even if it's not that impressive. And, yeah, I think – Especially given there's nobody else at 145. Give her a title shot. Who cares? Let's do it. <laughs> what do you think, Damon? Like you said, 145 is a little bit of a mystery at this point. I, I feel like in a way, the UFC is going to try to do something with this division in order to get Kayla Harrison because everyone's going to be knocking on that door with blank checks trying to get her over. Do you think Norma Dumont... Is, is getting a title fight next, or at least the Kayla Harrison fight if the UFC can sign her? 
I think Norma Dumont will get a big fight. I don't know if it'll be a title fight. Uh, and here's the reason, and that's because it's, it really comes down to Amanda Nunes. And, and Dana has shown that he will do what Amanda wants to do. If Amanda wants to come back to 145 and defend her title, he'll book a fight. And if she's the only one there to fight, she'll get a title shot. If Amanda beats Juliana Pena, which I expect her to do, and she says, I want to defend my title again at 135 against whoever that might be, uh, then she'll stay at 135. I think this really depends on Amanda Nunes because Amanda's been a couple fights at featherweight, you know, dismantling Megan Anderson and, and winning her next fight, and then you know now she's back at 135. So I think it really comes down to Amanda. If she doesn't get the Amanda Nunes fight, which again could happen, uh, I think I take Holly Holm out of the conversation because Holly Holm only took that fight because she had no options at 135. They had offered her Aspen Ladd. Aspen Ladd turned it down. They offered her Misha Tate. Misha Tate turned it down. And I know this conversation I had with Holly and her manager, they were growing pretty frustrated. So the reason why the Norma Dumont fight got booked in the first place was solely because Holly couldn't find a decent fight at 135 uh, to fight. She wants to fight at 135. She wants to be a champion at 135. Um, so, no, Holly Holm's not really a, you know, a, a legit uh, contender here because she didn't really want to fight at 145. I think the best option available for Norma, if Kayla Harrison doesn't come over, uh, would be booking her against uh, Jermaine Durandami if she would fight at 145 again if Amanda Nunes isn't around. Maybe that happens. Uh, other than that, yeah, I think it just comes down to Amanda Nunes, what she wants to do. She wants to fight at 145. She dismantles Juliana Pena, demolishes her inside two, three rounds. And says, I want to defend my, my featherweight title in three months, four months, then it's going to be Norma Dumont. Um, if Amanda Nunes says, give me the next body at bantamweight, because at this point, let's be honest, that's pretty much what she's facing at bantamweight, or just random bodies at this point, um, then Norma's going to have to fight somebody else. Uh, because again, I think Amanda has become kind of the one champion, uh, maybe a little bit with Valentina Shevchenko in terms of in her own division. Where Dana's just like, yeah, do what you do what you want at this point because there's no fight that anyone's clamoring to see. There's no fight anyone's like, oh man, we can't wait to see this one. Uh, Juliana Payne is on a one fight win streak and she's falling backwards into a title shot because there's nobody else for Amanda Nunes to fight. And the same thing goes with featherweight. If Amanda Nunes decides I want to be at 145 for my next fight, Norma Dumont will kind of fall into a title shot. Uh, because does she deserve it? Sure. She's got two wins in the division. Why not? Uh, <laughs> but otherwise, I think it really comes down to what Amanda wants to do. And if, if Kayla Harrison signs, then, yeah, that's different. That's a different animal. Uh, and you know, maybe they start – I won't say they'll build the division. They'll build that fight. They'll build Amanda Nunes versus Kayla Harrison. Uh, they're not going to build the division. So, yeah. Of course, we got the Valentina Shevchenko as the wild card. Hopefully, they put her ass front row for that Amanda Nunes Juliana Pena fight because she spit some fire and some venom uh, at Amanda Nunes on the MAR. But shout out to the legend Jim Miller for stealing the show this past Saturday. It definitely was not the greatest card of all time. This weekend's card, well, that one isn't that spectacular either, but we got a crazy storyline which we're going to talk about in a little bit. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. 
This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it. But this past Saturday, not only do we have the UFC, we had a Bellator event, Bellator 268. We had the semifinals for the light heavyweight Grand Prix. Corey Anderson runs through Ryan Bader in less than a minute. Vadim Nemkov had a scary moment in the first round in his title defense against Julius Anglicus, but for the most part, one-way traffic, fourth round finish, retains the title, and now it's going to be Nemkov versus Anderson for the title in the finale. But this has stemmed a debate about who is the best 205-pounder in the world. Because we got Jan Blachowicz, he's the UFC champion. He's getting ready to fight Glover Teixeira next weekend at UFC 267 in Abu Dhabi. We have Nemkov and Anderson over in Bellator. It's going to happen sometime in 2022. It's a really interesting fight. Anderson already feels like he's the best light heavyweight in the world. Nemkov probably believes he's the best light heavyweight in the world. And Scott Coker is confident that whoever wins that Grand Prix is the best light heavyweight on the planet. And Scott Coker says this about every division and every fighter. It doesn't matter. You're the promoter. These are the things you're supposed to say. But Damon, let's let, let's let's begin with you here. I know people view Bellator as the number two promotion. They're the second league, as Yanni Blocko likes to call it. But is there an actual argument to be made that Bellator currently has the best light heavyweight on the planet right now? Uh, they don't have the argument right now. Uh, you could potentially try to make the argument for the winner of Nimkov and Anderson based on overall resumes and based on the current streak they're on. I think Nimkov's case is hurt you know, uh, profoundly because he didn't get to fight Anthony Johnson or Yoel Romero or somebody with a UFC resume where we could measure that against somebody who we know is legitimately good. No offense whatsoever to Julius Anglicus, but nobody really knows him. He was an alternate and does not have any you know, truly impressive wins on his resume to compare to anybody. So Nimkov missed out. He, he dismantled Ryan Bader, which was great. Uh, but you know, Bader's now on, you know, not the best streak of his career. And you kind of wonder what Ryan Bader has left in the tank. Um, so that kind of gets diminished and let's not forget Nimkov also got, you know, steamrolled by Yuri Prohaska in Risen. Uh, so that doesn't help his case much. I think if he beats Corey Anderson, you could say, yeah, he's got a, he's got a case. I, I still wouldn't put him there. I think Corey Anderson's the guy with the better, the better, the better argument, the better resume, because he actually went out there and destroyed Johnny Walker. He went out there and, 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 you know, and he has big wins in the UFC Glover to share among them. Uh, and he does have a win over Jan Blahovich. Now you could say their last fight, of course, Jan knocked him out. Of course he did, but they are tied one, one. We can't, de- we can't deny the first fight was completely one way traffic for, for Corey Anderson. And he does hold a win over Glo- Glover to share If Glover goes out there and beats Jan Blahovich pulls off this upset. Yeah, Corey Anderson's got a legit – he has the last win over, over Glover, and it was a pretty dominant performance. He also holds a win over Jan. So in that case, yeah, you could make that argument for Corey Anderson. Uh, it's the same argument I made for A.J. McKee, though. Even if, even if Corey Anderson goes out there and, and destroys uh, Vadim Nimkov, I don't know that he will, but if he goes out there and destroys Vadim Nimkov, and let's just say hypothetically Glover does beat Jan Blahovich, Corey is the number one guy. But where do you go from there? Unless, you know, obviously he's got the opportunity to fight a guy like Anthony Johnson. That's a you know, potential fight that would, would help his resume. But kind of with AJ McKee, AJ's kind of stuck now. He might be the second best. He might be ranked number two or three or whatever it is at Featherweight. But he doesn't really have any other competition at Bellator to make him better. 
Uh, Corey Anderson's got maybe one other fight. Like I said, the Anthony Johnson fight, if Anthony comes back healthy and he looks good, that's still one that could build on your resume because Anthony has a legit UFC resume. But, yeah, Corey's got an argument, maybe. Nimkov, no, he doesn't. Jed, you have been very high on Jan Blachowicz. Does Bellator have a have a case here? Maybe not right the second, but let's just say first quarter 2022, Anderson goes out there and bolts Vadim Nemkov. Does he have a case? First, I'd like to say thank you for using Yanni Blocko because I'm a big fan. I've been trying to popularize <laughs> that one for a So great choice already. Uh, second, sure doesn't have a case, but God respect him for trying. You know, uh, I will say this about Bellator. If you are going to make an argument that they have a division to rival the UFC, light heavyweight is the only one of those that you can make. However, this is super, super simple. As much as Corey Anderson may hate it, uh, Bellator is the B League. Everybody generally accepts that. It's not to say that all the fighters there are less than, but the totality of the circumstances are what they are. Uh, Also, Corey Anderson... uh, one, Corey Anderson, let's just have a quick chat about Corey Anderson because this is a man who is desperately need, desperately in need of the Jed Talks fighter consulting services that I am trying to get off the ground and offer as part of the MMA fighting suite of coverage because, first, he got rid of the best name in combat sports, Beaston 25-8, and picked Overtime, which is honestly one of the worst names ever. <laughs> So that was a bad choice already. And now he keeps trying to scoreboard Jan, uh, Yanni Blocko because he beat him seven years ago. And since that time, in the very recent history, he got not just beat, he got colded. Yes, he dominated Jan Blahovich when they fought in 2015. He also got knocked the F out when they rematched, and so he has been valiantly Twitter-warring himself to be like, yeah, well, what's more dominant? All these stats from seven years ago, and then people are just, like, putting a picture of him being unconscious and dead. It's like, obviously, one of those is more dominant. I know that you want to make the lucky punch argument. You you lost. You got to wear it on the chin, and you could say, yeah, I'm a better fighter. You can't scoreboard somebody who knocked you out. It's like, It just doesn't work. It's a real Conor McGregor type of thing. Like, Conor used to try and do this to Habib all the time. It was always the stupidest thing ever because you just – all your response has to be is an image, one image of you unconscious. So Corey needs a lot of work. If Corey does beat Vadim Nemkov, which I don't think he's going to do, but if he does, like Damon said, that's super helpful to his overall case, especially if Glover goes ahead and beats Yanni Blajo then he does have a win over the current UFC light heavyweight champion that has not been violently avenged by that same dude. And he will beat Vadim Nimkov, who I think I have ranked four, might maybe three um, in the light heavyweight rankings for us. Like, I, I, I think a lot of Vadim Nimkov thinks he's a really good fighter. But ultimately, this just, it all comes back to the same things. Like, Vadim Nimkov lost to Yuri Prohashka, who probably is going to be a UFC champion next year. Um, and if I were to pick a dude to be the champion, like the guy who, if the aliens came down and we had to pick a 205er to represent our affairs, Yuri Prohaska would be that dude. So he beats a guy who is not even the best, and he himself has been knocked out by a dude. Now, if, if Glover beats Jan, then there's a cool little triumvirate, but I still don't think in any world Corey Anderson gets to be at the top of that. Like, it's, it's just unfortunate, you know? 
But that's okay because he gets to have a world title. I'm sure he believes the things that he's saying, and that matters a lot. Uh, if he beats Vadim Nimkov, but you're putting the cart before the horse, bud, because Vadim Nimkov is – he's that dude. Like, I think he's really good, and I don't think Corey Anderson's ready ready for that smoke. And I will close this out with one of my favorite MMA quotes of all time from the esteemed Daniel Cormier, who looked in Jimmy Manoa's eyes after he beat – I don't remember who. Jimmy Manoa was sitting cage side calling for a title fight, and Daniel Cormier just ethers – ethers Corey Anderson with – with not even a direct hit, just shrapnel, just killed Corey Anderson's whole career of, Jimmy Manuel, I like you, but you beat Corey Anderson. Sit down. Right? That's, <laughs> that's how we all feel about Corey Anderson, even in Bellator. So, no, they're not, they are the B League, and he will be the number two at best light heavyweight in the world. Would you say, Jed, that the light heavyweight division has a better argument for Bellator over UFC than the featherweight division? Because it seems like AJ McKee is like yeah. top two or three on everybody's list right now. Oh, I think I think AJ McKee might be the best featherweight in the world. I actually don't. I think Alexander Volkanovsky is definitely that and would, would tool up AJ McKee. But I think AJ McKee is the best fighter in Bellator, and you know the featherweight division has some legs. But featherweight is just so good that even that even though Bellator's featherweight division is legitimately pretty strong, like. Light heavyweight just sucks so hard that because Bellator has a few good fighters in it, like that's enough to be pretty comparable to the UFC. Real fun game for both of you gentlemen. While uh, while Damon was talking, I looked this up because I wanted to see. Uh, Bellator has 20 fighters listed in their bell in their light heavyweight rankings. Do you know how many of those have wikis? <laughs> Seven. Seven. No, it's nine, and that's because Melvin Manhoof. Uh, and Yoel Romero both count as light heavyweights for, for them as well. So seven was a great guess because that's actually the number of light heavyweights. They the division's porous and terrible, uh, but it's porous and terrible everywhere, so they at least get to be pretty competitive with the UFC in that regard. And they need to sign Big Tuna, and we can make this division even better than it is. Do you agree with that, Damon, that light heavyweights, their best shot, or can you make an argument that that featherweight might be the actual answer to this question. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, I mean, I guess light heavyweight because they went out and signed guys who you know and have legit resumes from the UFC. So like an Anthony Johnson, who there's only two losses in the in the end of his UFC career were to Daniel Cormier, and there's no shame in those losses. And so that's a legit guy. Ryan Bader, I mean, he does have a resume and he does have some you know solid wins under his record, and he picked up bigger wins. Uh, big wins in Bellator, so you could argue that is a you know solid guy to have on the division. Uh, Nimkov, of course, is legitimately good, and and you know since the Prohaska loss, I don't think he's lost since then. Uh, has looked great, you know, looked like a world beater. So they have a they have a legit case to say that. But again, we're talking about a very shallow division in general. We're talking about five or six guys maybe deep in the UFC, and then five guys deep in Bellator. So together. You know, together they make a, a decent division, but <laughs> apart, we're talking about, you know, again, I mean, we're still, I mean, I'm shocked that they haven't found a way to rebook, you know, a uh, little nog in the UFC because they desperately need people at light heavyweight just because he's he's somewhere out there. Shogun, guys like that, I love him, don't get me wrong, but the guys like that should not be fighting, and that's where we're at. Like, when you look at beyond, like, the number six or seventh ranked light heavyweight in the UFC, it becomes a barren wasteland. And Bellator is about five deep, and then it becomes a barren wasteland. So 
Do they have an argument? Sure, they could make an argument only because the UFC's light heavyweight division, by and large, is terrible, uh, and Bellator's is almost almost as terrible. So yeah, I guess in that way you could say you know, they're they're almost equal. But and that's not a knock at the guys at the top. Unfortunately, Jan Blahovich, very good. Uh, you know, Glover Teixeira, he's on this second you know, resurgence in his career, very good. Yuri Prohaska is a monster. Uh, Ivanim Nimkov, great. I think Corey Anderson's very good. Uh, you know, Anthony Johnson, when he's at his best, he's still a dangerous guy. I don't know if he's going to be that guy again. Unfortunately, what he's dealing with health wise, but again, very dangerous guy. But then when you, when you look beyond that, when you, when you drop off that ledge, man, it's a pretty far drop, uh, from like number four to number six or number four to number five or whatever. Uh, that's the problem. That's where this division just falls apart. Well, we has nothing after their top, like set. Like the UFC's division is bad, but like, I don't know, man. Like, who's who's a lower end? Uh, like, Ion Kudalaba is still like, like a legitimate fighter, you know? Like he's he's still okay. It's, it's, Bellator is just also Yanni Blaho beat Israel Adesanya. Like, let's just not forget that he beat the dude that everyone thought is like that guy. I know he's a weight class up. Doesn't matter. He still beat one of the three best fighters on the friggin' planet. Like Yanni Blaho is the best light heavyweight. Deal and, with it, Corey Anderson. And there's one, there is one, I will say, there is one really solid prospect coming up uh, in the UFC, Ankalaev. Yep. He's got to fight with Ozdemir coming up. Ankalaev's a monster. If he can win that fight, then we actually throw another guy in the pool of the UFC who I think is a legit threat. I'm a big, big fan of Ankalaev. If he wins that fight, then yeah, I think you got another player out there uh, in that division uh, because no one's screaming to see Rakic. You know, Anthony Smith, I still think, is a solid guy. And, and a very serviceable, you know, light heavyweight, and he's looked really good lately. Uh, but yeah, like I said, the the the, the drop off is pretty deep. You know, Nimkov was that guy in Bellator. He was like the guy coming up. Now he's the champion. Ankalaya was kind of the one guy beyond Prohaska who has like got legitimate like you know heat behind him. If he wins his next fight, then maybe we'll start talking about him more in that in that same conversation. Yeah, and we are listen. We are this is classic Bellator. We know exactly what's going to happen at the end of this Grand Prix. If Gegar Mousasi beats Austin Vanderford in January or February, one billion percent, they're going to have Mousasi go up and do a champion versus champion fight. They haven't done one in so long, so they're going to do one now. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. They're not going to build a division. One. That's the fight they're going to make. They haven't done one in like eight months. Since <laughs> Lima, since Lima wouldn't try to, yeah, they, they keep. Boy, the well, the welterweights in Bellator have not had a lot of luck going up and fighting Musasi, man. He's assassinated Rory McDonald and did the same thing to Douglas Lima. So if you're the welter, if you're Michael Venom Page, stick stick around at welterweight, buddy. If you're uh, if you're uh, uh, you're, you're the champion right now, stick around at welterweight right now. You don't you don't want to go up and get none of that uh, that Musasi. No, but he'll go up this oh. time. We'll see what happens. What do you think, Jen? I didn't think about it until right now, but are we all wrong? Is is the actual best light heavyweight in the world, uh, Renier the Ritter, over at one championship? Have we all just we've just ridden off one championship? <laughs> He's undefeated. I mean, the Ritter's good, but you know, Ang Law In Song, who I like a lot, is not a light heavyweight. So, yeah, I mean, if he actually beat. Anybody legit? Sure, but yeah. I mean, he beat Alon Song. <laughs> is, that, is that not enough for you? Who is? Who is? Yeah, middleweight. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a Dutch guy with a BJJ black belt. He can stand up and grapple. How do you beat him? Now, I will. Beat him? I will say. I will say to make this to make this hard. I will say the one. There is one guy 
One championship, one championship does have the best flyweight in the sport, and his name is Adrian Marias. When you knock out the GOAT, when you knock out Demetrius Johnson, you are the best flyweight in the world. They do have the best flyweight at one championship in Adrian Marias. No, because he fights to 135 because one's stupid. <laughs> I agree. I'm, pre- I'm, pre- I'm pretending that doesn't exist yet. I'm pretending the weight class doesn't exist, all right? That's fair. Well, we talked about Cornergate. We talked about the actual 205-pound division globally. Now we're going to talk about a potential 205-pound matchup, which was supposed to be a middleweight fight this Saturday because we got 211-pound Paulo Costa getting ready to fight Marvin Vittori in the main event of UFC Vegas 41. Now, Vittori, being Vittori, had been putting out some somewhat cryptic tweets about this fight saying that Costa was looking for a way out goes to the media day saying that Costa wasn't just overweight. He was majorly overweight. He wasn't going to make 185. And a lot of people just sort of chalked it up to Marvin being Marvin, just doing what he does. But it turns out he may have actually been underselling it because Costa shows up at the media day, says he's well over 200 pounds and they've now agreed to a catch weight bout, which at the moment, I know they verbally agreed to 195, but the UFC hasn't made like any official announcement yet in regards to that. But this has now sparked another debate which we'll get into in a minute. But Damon, you had a lot to say about this yesterday. I saw a long thread featuring yourself and Aaron Bronsetter of TSN that just kept going on and on and some great points from both sides. I sided with you on this, but what what did you think of this whole thing? As it was unfolding, you were paying attention. You were kind of watching it live. Like, what did you think of this whole thing? Uh, I saw a great, I want to give credit where credit's due. I saw a great tweet this morning from my buddy, RJ Clifford uh, who said, when did Paulo Costa turn into Paulo Filo? And I'm starting to agree with him because Costa has just kind of fallen apart this last year. I mean, a guy who had all the promise and potential in the world, when you go out there and you can argue whether or not he beat UL Romero, it was a phenomenal fight. Whether he won the fight or not, it was a phenomenal fight. Uh, and, you know, we all know how good UL Romero is when he decides to actually fight. Uh Paulo Costa then goes out and gets just dismantled by uh, Israel Adesanya and, you know, then starts talking about how he drank a bottle of wine afterwards and then he doesn't fight, you know, he doesn't have to fight with Whitaker, has a contract dispute over Cannoneer, and now this week, you know, he's just shown up and basically said, I didn't really care to cut weight, so I didn't bother doing it and you're going to fight me. If you want a main event for this really crappy card, you're going to pay, you're going to agree to fight me at some other bloated weight. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's a fall because the reality is Paulo Costa didn't really have a deep resume to say this is an established, you know, legit middleweight because really he had, you know, whatever, three wins, four wins in the UFC before he got the title shot. Um, and his one big win was Joel Romero, which again, very, very good win. Very, you know, it's a quality win. Uh, but then, you know, to get eviscerated by Adesanya and then have everything that's gone in the last year, you feel like I bring this question up to a lot of fighters that talk to. The, I call it the Super Bowl hangover. When a team goes out, loses the Super Bowl the next year, they just they fall apart. Like they just don't have that same energy in the the following season. And I feel like some fighters deal with that. And I'm telling you what, Costa has just. I mean, you could argue was he already a bit of a head case, you know, going into the Adesanya fight. But then coming out of that, good lord. Uh, so yeah, it's a mess. Uh, it's unfortunate. I feel for Marvin Vittori. You know, Marvin Vittori has kind of done. Every, gone out of his way to kind of be painted as the bad guy by some of the things he says, his war words with Adesanya, 
uh, you know, everything after that. But, you know, Marvin did his job. Marvin showed up on weight. Marvin showed up ready to fight at 185. Uh, and my argument being is this is all on Paulo Costa. I said, listen, it sucks for Marvin Vittori. I said this yesterday, and I stand by it. As soon as he said, I have no intention of making weight, and I came in, uh, I had heard Paulo said he was 211, 212, which is, you know, whatever, 26 pounds. Or I had heard he was like 30 to 35 pounds over. Maybe I don't even know how much reality we can take into his comments he was 211 212 i had heard 30 to 35 pounds over the middleweight limit if he came in that far over he's of course he had no intention of ever making weight if i'm the ufc and i know they'll never do this we've all know they'll never do this but i said pay vittori his win and show money cut the fight and then book him against a legit middleweight because none of this is marvin vittori's fault and and I don't. If he says I'm not, I mean, he's gonna take the fight. I know he is. I talked to his manager last night, Ali Abdelaziz. He's gonna take the fight, but even they're getting frustrated because they can't seem to nail this guy down on a freaking weight. Like he said verbally, 195 yesterday when talking to Brett Akimoto. Now we're not even sure that's right. Like 198, 200, 200. What's it gonna take to actually get him to sign on for this fight? So it's ridiculous. And like I said, what I would do is call the fight, pay Vittori, book him against, you know. Uh, you know, uh, some other middleweight. That's, Sean you know, Strickland, uh, put him on the yeah. MSG card. Yeah, there you go. Put him on the Sean. That, that's a, that'd be a fun fight. Good Lord, the trash talking that would get bizarre. <laughs> uh, put him in there for that, whatever. But yeah, like none of this is on Marvin Vittori. Like I know a lot of people love to hate Marvin Vittori. None of this is on him. And to be clear, he's actually kind of been the hero in this whole thing because he's still willing to take the fight and say, I'll fight him in any way. When in reality, I'd say, take your paycheck and go home, buddy, because Costa has blown this. What did you think, Jed? I know you've been kind of out of the MMA space for a little while, but I'm sure you were paying attention to this and seeing this all over the place. What were you thinking as you were seeing the tweets and seeing the videos and seeing the clips from the media days, et cetera? What did you think of this whole thing? One, I honestly, my first reaction, I still have a little bit of this is like, is this a story? Cause I, I agree. He came in. If he's come in, and I haven't seen, Damon said that he has been saying stuff. I haven't seen everything. So I may totally have just missed Costa saying that he just really had no intention of ever trying to make, you know, 185. But, like, I agree. Being 25 pounds overweight is a lot of poundage overweight. That is also within a realm that I would believe Paulo Costa cuts for his fights in general. Like, of just water weight, not, like, you know, dieting down. I mean would certainly not be the first person we've seen to make drastic weight cuts like that in over the span of three or four days. I mean, hell, didn't Gleason T-Bar used to weigh like 180 for one for lightweight fights on fight night. Like it's, I wouldn't be shocked if, yeah, maybe he was a couple pounds, you know, over what he would have ideally liked to, but I could easily see Paulo Costa cutting 25 pounds of water weight on fight week. Like that would not stun me. Uh, now, like I said, I haven't seen, uh, I, I have, if he said it, I haven't, haven't seen where he's been like, yeah, I just wasn't going to make the weight the whole time. That's the case. Uh, screw him. That's shitty. <laughs> be better. Be a professional. You agree to do a thing, try and do the thing that you agreed to do. Um, and at least have some form of shame if, if you're not going to, uh, it's a real, uh, the optics here are very potentially like, Mayhem Millery of I'm supposed to make 185 and I don't even make the light heavyweight limit. But I think 
you know, had this not become my understanding is that he got there, weighed in, and the UFC is like, dude, you can't cut this much. Like, we got to adjust it. And then that's where all this spun from. If I'm wrong, hand up. Uh, if I'm not, then this would be a, one of those stories that is probably much less a story until he misses weight by a couple of pounds on, on Friday. And then we're like, oh, Paulo Costa missed weight. What a, what a bum ass. Uh, I think the more – I will agree with Damon – uh, Vittori looking like a hero right now because he clearly could not care less about whatever <laughs> Costa comes in at. Nor should he because uh, hot take, Paulo Costa is not very good at fighting. Um, I mean, he's good at fighting in the comparative sense that like he would beat me up. Uh, but look at his resume. Damon touched on it. He hasn't beaten anybody. He beat Yoel Romero. <laughs> he didn't beat Yoel Romero. He definitely should have lost that fight. Uh, and more to the point, like, if the, the thing you hang your hat on is knocking out fat Johnny Hendricks, who was shot at that point, uh, RIP to Johnny Hendricks' career, he fell off a cliff, man, damn. Uh, but, yeah, the, the highlights of a career are you beat fat Johnny Hendricks. Uh, who, didn't Johnny Hendricks miss weight for that fight, too? I want to say that he missed weight for that fight. I could be wrong. Um, and then you almost beat Yoel Romero, who... Like, let's be honest. I am the biggest Joel Romero man. Like, you know this, Mike. I have consistently <laughs> said he's the best middleweight in the world. Only half jokingly. Like, there is no bigger stand for Joel than I am. If there's one fighter that, like, any random dude could look good against for a while, it's Joel Romero because he's just not going to do anything for most of the fight. And that's what happened. He didn't do anything until he started doing something. And when he did, he beat Costa's ass. But he just didn't do anything for a while, so people think that Costa looked good. Other than that, Costa has beaten nobody in the uh, – I guess he's beaten Uriah Hall uh, in a fight that I don't remember being memorable. Uh, and so, yeah, I just don't think he's actually that good of a middleweight, and Vittori is very good middleweight. Uh, he also has a big old blockhead that you couldn't dent with a baseball bat. So uh, I think he's going to beat the hell out of Costa uh, regardless of what they weigh in. Uh, and I think he knows it. And so he gets to look like, you know, Billy Hardass by saying, I don't care. Weigh in whatever you want, dude. It would be a real pro move for Vittori to come in, hit 185 to make a statement and then still beat that ass. He probably won't do that because I don't think he's got that. Uh, I don't think he's got that amount of self-promotion in him. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think this is another story. Like, it's a story, but it feels a lot more like we're spinning our wheels because, this fight card is dog shit. So and I, I, with something to talk about. And I agree with, by the way, I agree with Jed right there. What he said, I think Vittori wins this fight going away. And that probably does play a small factor in his willingness to like, take this vice. He's like, I know I'm going to win. Uh, and I get to come out on the other side of this looking really, really good. Uh, so of course I'm going to take this fight and kudos to him for that because I do believe Vittori's going to win this fight. I think he's going to win it handily, and I think he would have won it handily if Paulo actually made 185. Yes, uh, and I would love to see Vittori hit 185, uh, but obviously that won't happen because the weight discrepancy will be too much more than likely. It'd be pretty gangster if Costa made 185. <laughs> That'd be unbelievable. But I mean, so yeah. listen. Go ahead, if Jen. If Costa comes in and makes 185, I take back every bad thing I've ever said about him. <laughs> I will immediately become a Paulo Costa fan if he just rolls up Friday and is like, 185, bitches. <laughs> that would be absolutely ridiculous. So let's just say that's not going to happen because it's probably not going to happen. Obviously, Paul Costa, credibly unprofessional, knowing he's not going to make weight. And I wish with all the interviews he did, like, 
because pa Paul kept saying like, why am I going to cut weight when it's catch weight? Like when did, when were you told this is the catch weight? Like, that's the question I want to know. But anyways, with this whole thing, he's obviously doing himself in the grand scheme of things, the long game, a terrible disservice to himself, a terrible disservice in getting back to a title shot at 185. It's probably farther and further away than ever. But after the beating he took from Adesanya, maybe it was already further and further than it could ever been as long as Izzy is the champion. So, Jed, you know I like to play devil's advocate from time to time. So, watching this whole thing unfold, I'm thinking to myself, like, how can I be the positive thinker here? And there's nothing really positive about this, but one thing that kept popping into my mind is when I was playing baseball and football and other sports growing up, my father always said to me, and he related it to life as well as a, as a life lesson, put yourself in a position where you cannot be replaced, where you are irreplaceable. Now, as you said, you called this card dog shit, and not many people are going to argue with you. But looking at this card as a whole... Find me the person who will. Find me <laughs> the non-Dana White person who will argue that point with you. Right. And looking at the card as a whole, as a whole right? Paulo Costa, his manager, the UFC themselves, Dana White himself, no matter what he says on... Uh, Y'all must have forgot... Whatever friggin' stupid Facebook video he does. They're well aware that they cannot lose this fight from this card. They just can't. You can't have Grant Dawson as much, as high as I think of him as a prospect. You can't have Grant Dawson and Ricky Glenn main event this card. You just can't. Now, certainly, Casa and his team should have handled this a million times better. Shed, listen, you should have said three weeks ago, I'm not making weight. And they still would have done this fight, and we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But was this, at least in theory, Jed, kind of a smart move from Paulo Costa? Like, why cut this weight? They ain't gonna cut me. They ain't gonna take me out of this fight, anyways, right? It's not a smart move because, look, I do not give the UFC credit for a lot, uh, nor should I. I don't. I think that largely they're pretty bad at their job of promotion. Uh, but what you can damn sure give the UFC credit for is uh, they will find a way to get even, and it might be direct. <laughs> He may take a he may just take a pay cut on Friday. They may be like, all right, cool. Uh, we've agreed to a catch weight. We're still gonna give twenty percent of your purse to Marvin for the hassle or whatever it is. Uh, or they will just find another way to make him feel it. But so I don't. I think this is objectively like a dumb idea. Like it's it's never a good idea to be unprofessional, and that's basically what we're talking about here. Is Holocaust has has been unprofessional, um, and at at the risk of losing something because like yeah the ufc is gonna go 100 percent. like they can't there's there's no other fight that could headline this car like whatsoever uh but marvin vittori doesn't didn't have to be a hard ass like he didn't have to be like yeah i'll fight him because it's been like no we agreed to 185 make the weight or don't and if that happens and vittori doesn't want to fight him costa what does costa get out of this nothing he looks awful doesn't get paid uh yeah he can you know, be angry at Marvin Vittori online, but like, no, this is objectively a really, really dumb, really awful idea. Uh, but let's just say that if you've been following Paulo Costa for any amount of time, particularly his Twitter feed, uh, he is not a man renowned for bright ideas and genius thoughts. So that's where we are. What do you think about this, Damon? Because this is kind of Aaron's pill to, to lie on more than anything was you can't lose this fight. UFC fight night, Dawson versus Glenn doesn't really, you know, strike the excitement nerves. Like, 
Vittori Costa. Not that this is the most exciting fight of all time, but it certainly is not comparable. Let's just be honest here. How do you here. think that fight night would do on what's this Saturday? Don't we have uh, like divisional baseball games going on Saturday night? And Bellator. Okay, Bellator. <laughs> From Showtime. Nobody watches it, but I'm pretty sure people watch playoff baseball and college football. Do you think this is what Costa was trying to do, Damon? Like knowing, like him and his team looking at this card, being like, "This card sucks. Like they can't afford to lose me, so I might lose this fight, but I'd rather at least I don't have to kill myself to get to 185." Uh, yeah, I I think that's probably exactly what they were thinking, uh, because as Jed said, I don't know that Paulo Costa is going to be giving any UN speeches anytime soon uh, on the virtues of you know the the, the world currency or anything. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think he probably did come in thinking they can't lose me for this fight card so I could pretty much do whatever I wanted. The problem is, is that kind of short-sighted thinking is not is not dealing with the reaction. And I agree with Jed here. The UFC is real good at getting you back. And in this case, if he blows making weight, which, of course, he's already said he's going to do, but, I mean, it depends on how bad this gets in terms of, like, they make a 195 catch weight and he still misses by, like, 10 or 11 pounds, which I could 100% see happening. Uh, and if fight goes on, Vittori smokes him. Uh, I could see 100% they just release him. They're done with him. I mean, they've already had issues with Paulo coming out of the Adesanya fight, the contract negotiations, the I drank a bottle of wine, all the different things. And, and you know, he's not been high on Dana's list anyways. Uh, this is not going to help his cause. And if he goes out there and misses weight and loses badly, uh, they could just be like, we're done with this guy. And what are they really losing? I mean, I, again, I'm, this isn't a, a personal knock on Paulo Costa, but he's not going to fight for the title again anytime soon. If he loses to Vittori, he's even further back in the line. What are they really losing? I mean, what? I mean, they're not losing much of anything if he gets cut. You know what I mean? They're sending a guy who was a problem guy on the roster to Bellator or to PFL or to one championship. Like, they're not losing much of anything. So, yeah. In the short term, that's that's exactly what I'm sure he thought. He's like, you know what? I'm weighing 230 pounds right now. I'm not going to make 185 anytime soon. But guess what? They can't afford to lose me because this is the only viable fight this card has as a main event. Great. Short term, he's probably right. Long term, he's thinking my contract is going to get terminated the second I step out of the octagon after losing to Marvin Vittori because I pulled this. Uh, so yeah, short term, probably what he was thinking. Long term, uh, Paulo Costa, welcome to the uh, Cage Warriors roster. Now I'm going to try to find some positivity here. This opening statement is not positive because on Monday, this is a 12 fight card. Now it's a 14 fight card again because Mason Jones, who's been off the card for a month, and then Jonathan Martinez has been off the card for a couple of weeks. All of a sudden, they get new opponents. So we have 14 fights on this card. However, it does start at 1 p.m. Eastern. So early day of fights. I will. I am very excited about that. Uh, we're not going to really dig into this card much more. That's the UFC. But for the second week in a row. So dumb. If you're going to have... You know the phrase, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. If you're going to be shit, you got to be short, like UFC. Like, you can put together eight bad fights, and I'll still probably watch it if I have nothing else to do. I'm not watching 14. Like, just <laughs> do better. Be better at your jobs. So frustrating. Like, there is no need for 14 fights this weekend. Zero. 
The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Speaking of do better, Jed feels that Bellator should always do better because apparently he's going to be turning into his favorite channel, Showtime, on Saturday because Bellator 269 is going to be going down right around the same time. In fact, this one starts an hour earlier than the UFC's card. 12 fights, and the Bellator prelims just fly by, so it's like they don't even happen. It's just boom, 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 to the point where there's like 45 minutes from the prelims to the main card. But it's in Moscow. Big deal for the promotion. It's headlined by Fyodor. Emelianenko versus Timothy Johnson. Uh, Jed, let us start with you here. Fedor coming back created some buzz, created conversation about who the opponent could and should be. It was Timothy Johnson. We crapped all over this thing. We gave a beating to Bellator, but from all accounts, this was Fedor's choice. He handpicked Tim Johnson. This was this was Bellator's version of what is Fight Island, honestly. Like the actual Fight Island reveal didn't go over as well as our imaginations perceived it to be. Fedor with this long list of former UFC champions he could have fought and other names. I mean, and then we get Timothy Johnson. No offense, Timothy Johnson, but of all the other names we had on there, we could have done better. But we're 48 or so hours away from this card as we record, Jed. The return of Fedor. Where's your excitement level for this? Uh, uh, on a 10 scale, three, I don't even know if three is fair. Uh, I'll give this to Bellator. This is probably a better card than the UFCs this week. Um, which is not saying almost anything at all, but it's words. Uh, Fedor, I will, I will dutifully watch Fedor fight because he is one of my favorite fighters of all time, despite the fact that he's been not his best for over a decade now, uh, I will still tune in because that's what you do when you hate yourself and become an MMA fan. Um, but this is, as we, we crapped all over it because it sucked. Uh, I don't care if Fedor handpicked Tim Johnson or not. This is still a terrible fight. Uh, it's a fight nobody cares about in concept other than Fedor is fighting again and he'll be doing so in Russia. Um he could have fought any number of other people that I would have been really interested in, even if it was old bad MMA. Like, give me Vanderlei Silva versus Fedor. I know Vanderlei hasn't won a fight in 27 years, uh, but that's at least there's something there that makes me want to view it. Josh Barnett obviously was, I think, the front runner in most people's eyes. 
We're with Tim Johnson. I am not looking forward to this at all. Uh, Vitaly Minikov is not a bad fighter. Um, and Saeed, I would butcher his last name if I said it, uh, is, you know, he's a competent enough heavyweight. So the co-main event has something. There's Nurmagomedov fighting, so good for that. Um, Kirill Sedelnikov, baby Fedor, he's, he's out here plugging away. Uh, it's, it's all bad, and it's super bad because I'm pretty confident Tim Johnson's going to beat Fedor probably with the knockout. And whatever part of my soul that this sport still has and hasn't killed by watching my heroes disintegrate into old manitude, uh, I think the last piece might die when Timothy Brigham Johnson knocks out Fedor Emelianenko. So, yeah, uh, I'm not looking forward to it. The one benefit is may not watch it because I still don't know how to watch Showtime. <laughs> Bellator, get your shit together. Stop booking the one good commodity you have against fighters that no one cares about and on a network that no one cares about. Three people are going to tune in, and it's going to be this call. <laughs> David, what do you think? Fedor, are you excited uh, for this? To a point. I mean, if Jed's a three, I'd say I'm probably a five because much like him, I love Fedor. Uh I grew up Fedor. I mean, I was a hardcore Pride guy. I used to stay up to all hours of the night to watch Pride fights. And I remember watching, you know, Fedor and Crow Cop and uh, when it happened and freaking out. And yeah, so, you know, I own two mixed martial arts t-shirts. Both were given to me, but I own them. One is a WEC shirt uh, that was given to me when the promotion was starting to close its doors. And I had been around WC forever. And my mentor, Ryan Bennett, used to call fights for them. So they gave me a WEC shirt. Reed Harris gave me a WEC shirt. So I kept that. And I own a old school Fedor shirt that says Fedor, nobody beats me. If anyone remembers that shirt from like the early 2000s, that was a really cool black and white t-shirt that said Fedor, nobody beats me. It was awesome. I own those two t-shirts. I haven't worn them in years probably never will wear them but i own them and that should tell you how much i enjoy i adore fedor so in that regard his final two fights of his career of course i'll watch i love fedor and i actually think he has a chance of winning this fight um you know tim johnson i i, I don't mind i'm not i don't want to knock tim johnson tim johnson's not a bad fighter but he's not a great heavyweight uh so there's a chance that fedor goes out there and hits him with a bomb and wins this fight. I mean, I think it's, it's a, I think it's a more winnable fight than fighting Junior DeSantos or Alistair Overeem, even though those guys aren't quite, you know, top level heavyweights anymore. Uh, I don't think he beats those guys. Uh, Josh Barnett would have been my pick, uh, but again, not happening. So yeah, I think he's got a chance to beat Tim Johnson. And overall, the Bellator card isn't great, but as Mike said. 12 fights, they cruise through the prelims. A, a bunch of no-name guys you, and girls you never heard of, including the one girl who fought a 529-pound opponent. I'm weirdly interested to watch that one. Uh, and then you got Usman Nurmagomedov, which he actually is a legitimately really good prospect. They put him against a guy with like an 11-8 and eight record, so you know what's going to happen in that one. It is, it is, it is going to be... As it is going to be what Kamaru Usman and Khabib Nurmagomedov did to their opponents in the UFC. This guy is going to st- I mean, it's if th- if this if an upset happens here, it is big. It is worse than the big tuna uh, upset because this Usman is literally they're giving him like cannon fodder to go out there and just have like a good showing against some guy. Um, you know, Minikov is not bad. You know, Russian prospects. You know, generally there's big finishes and Bellator at least does one thing right. When they have a good prospect, they give them mismatches usually, so you can see them just completely destroy an opponent, and there is some fun in that. 
so yeah, it's a better card than the UFC. That's not a, a that's a really 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 low bar to set, but it is a better card, and it's not fourteen freaking fights deep where you're going to have a you know nine hour prelim followed by a seven hour main card. Uh, so in that regard, Bellator wins. Uh, and like I said, man, Fedor, he is coming off a win over Rampage Jackson, be that as it may. Uh, Fedor's still a legend. He's got a little bit of gas left in the tank, and I don't want to see him lose. But you know what? Unlike the UFC, where Fedor would be fighting you know, Francis Ngannou right now because they don't have any respect for that kind of fighter, uh, at least you know, Tim Johnson's decent. He's not great. Uh, they're not giving him you know, to the guy that you know is just going to go out there and absolutely destroy him. Uh, so in that regard, yeah. yeah, my interest is there. Doesn't that make it sadder though, Damon? Because like, I I would not watch Ngannou Fedor because that's morally reprehensible to pay money to see that. But I at least would feel better about him getting knocked out by Ngannou because everybody gets knocked out by Ngannou. If he gets knocked out by Tim Johnson, I'm just going to be real sad. It was real sad. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. But like I said, I actually think Fedor has a chance of winning this fight. Like, I would not. There is zero chance he's at this he's stage. Always got yeah, but they're he's like, yeah, but and, right hands. Yeah, but Tim Johnson, you know, Tim Johnson was a, you know, bottom of the, you know, top 15, top 20 UFC heavyweight. Uh, and the UFC heavyweight division has never been incredibly deep, so that should tell you where Tim Johnson is at. And I like Tim Johnson. It's not a knock on Tim Johnson. I'm saying he's kind of a good middle-of-the-road heavyweight. There's, Yeah, it'll make me sad if he beats and he knocks out Fedor, but I also think Fedor does have a legit chance of beating him uh, versus a lot of the other guys he could probably fight right now. So in that regard, I'm like, at least there's that. I wish it was Josh Barnett. It's not Josh Barnett, though. Let so, me say one more thing. Absolutely. We all we all pooped on Tim Johnson. Not pooped on him, but we he caught a lot of a lot of collateral shots. Tim Johnson, the twenty twenty heavyweight of the year, in my opinion, last year. And as you mentioned earlier, MMA fighting's official opinion, Tim Johnson <laughs> was the twenty twenty MVP of the heavyweight division, because he had a really good year last year. You know, he won some fights. He challenged for a title. Good for you, Tim Johnson. For yes, for the interim title. And he tried to try try to make it as entertaining as possible. So could be the last fight of Fedor's career. We'll see. Um unless they give him a title fight. I just don't know what other fight he's gonna wanna fight. He's fighting at home. Like what else is he gonna do? Do you think this is his last fight, Damon, win, lose, or draw? Uh, I don't think so because, uh, you know, I mean, in theory, if he, I mean, I would love it. If he goes out there and wins, I would love for that to be it. He goes out in Russia, last fight, you know, in front of his home country. Uh, yeah, I would love it. That would be it. But that's not how fighting works, and we all know this. If he goes out and beats Tim Johnson, and he actually is going to try to fight, you know, the he is going to try to fight a legit good heavy. They're going to match with Anthony Johnson, and it's going to be real, real sad when what happens happens. Uh, so no, I don't think so. Even if he loses, uh, as long as it's not like a completely terrible. And again, I don't think this fight makes it past four minutes of the first round, no matter which way it goes. Uh, if he loses badly, I could still see him coming back for one more and say, I got one more fight left in me. Give me, you know, the Fabio Maldonado rematch or some weird stuff like that. And we get that as the final match. So no, I don't think it's his final fight because nothing ever goes the way I want it to with MMA retirements. No one ever goes out on top. If he wins, he's going to say, you know what, give me that other guy, and it's going to be real sad. So, Jed, do you agree? Oh, yeah, he's coming back. 
That's <laughs> sad, but uh, he's coming back. Uh, I I hope I hope he fights Vanderlei Silva. That's the fight I want. Um, it's awful, but it it's so up Bellator's alley, uh, and I would watch the hell out of it. So I hope that's his final fight. I think he's got at least one more. He's probably got like two more years. So he's just this is an awful sport that is very unkind to people who care and we care about this man so yeah bad things are going to happen i can't wait to get the email in march big announcement virtual press conference with fedor and he signs a new eight fight deal with bellator i mean such right. a bellator thing to do. uh all right so that's that's that uh I, I did solicit for some questions i got some on twitter some on instagram so we're going to rifle through these real quick some fan questions leading into this tournament uh this first question is from somebody who I don't think anybody really knows, but I'll just say his name, Ariel Hawani. Uh, in honor of Fedor, yeah. in honor of Fedor, Jed Mishu, who are the top four greatest fighters to never fight in the UFC? So Fedor is obviously number one. That's for sure. Um, to never fight in the UFC? That's a really good question. Uh, Fedor, I think, is unquestionably the top spot there. Um after that, it might take a little bit of thinking. Uh, I guess, uh, are we, if we're just going off right now, I would honestly put AJ McKee as like closing in on that gap. Uh, Cause I think he might actually just be the second best featherweight in the world, but he's got plenty of time to fight. Uh, I think Fedor, uh, Patricio Pitbull, Patricio has certainly done enough uh, to, to warrant that. Who else? I'm trying to go back to like pride era stuff. Because that's going to be the people who've had like a long enough run that I can feel justified in saying who would be who would have never fought in the UFC. Damon, you want to jump in while Jack uh, oh, oh. Fuji. Fuji. Fuji is that she's number two behind Fedor. Megan right. Magoo, for sure, for sure. What are yours, Damon? Uh, I would, I would, yeah, Fedor's number one, of course. You know, when he was in his prime, it's sad that we didn't get to see him, you know. Uh, do that. I wish we had, but I also, you know, applaud Fedor for, you know, whatever principles he had standing up to Dana White. Good for him. Uh, I would, uh, another guy who was, seemed like he was tailor made for the UFC, who I think would have just had great fun fights. He would have been kind of like the, the Cowboy Saronia heavyweight is Igor Vochanchin. I loved Igor Vochanchin, man. I loved that guy. I would love to have seen him in some of those UFC matchups back in the day. Like he was so much fun to watch. He didn't win every fight, but man, he went out there and I mean he you know he, he put on fights he put on great fights. Uh, I would have loved to see Volchanchin back in the day uh, be in the UFC because he was a really really fun heavyweight. Um, yeah, I don't know like so many the the weird thing is so many of these guys and girls do end up crossing over for like one fight sometimes or two fights like you kind of forget that Sakuraba actually had one fight in the UFC. Like he would be the guy, but he actually had one, and it was the weirdest fight ever because it ended and then they restarted it later that night. Yeah, he he, wait, he, he, he he went in and and the fight ended controversially and then they restarted it later that night. Uh, that's Kazushi Sakuraba's one fight in the UFC. Um, so yeah, I, I that it's it's not easy. I mean, I would agree AJ McKee is probably on that list now because I think he is you know one of the best featherweights in the sport and it's kind of sad that we haven't seen him there. I think eventually we will. I mean, you could have said you know a couple of years ago Michael Chandler would have been on that list, but now he's there. So, yeah, I mean, it's a short list, uh, Fedor being definitely at the top. And I agree, Megumi Fuji you know, would have been great in her prime. Uh, by the time she even got to Bellator, she wasn't quite the same fighter 
uh, that she once was. Um, but yeah, it's a short list. And I, Igor, Igor is the one guy I could think of because he was a guy who was always really fun to watch, uh, who was never a top guy, but he was always a fun guy. Uh, next question. Uh, Brandon Christian on Instagram. It worries me that Sterling will go into a fight too early and do serious damage to himself just to try and prove all these silly haters wrong. I understand the title needs to keep moving, but there seems to be no sympathy from the UFC towards him. So, Damon, do you think Aljamain Sterling is going to make a mistake and come back too early to defend his title? I don't think so, and the reason I say that is is because if he would have fought October 30th, that would have been too early. I mean, that was the case where he would have been coming back too early. He finally kind of came to his senses and realized he wasn't healthy enough to do it, and so he dropped out of the fight. Uh, the UFC pressuring him to fight in October was their attempt. The fact that they actually made an interim title and didn't strip him shocks me beyond belief because I could 100% see the UFC doing that. So. Uh, I think because when I talked to Al Jermaine months ago, uh, he told me that, you know, November, December was probably when he was going to target coming back. December being the best possible case scenario. When the UFC booked him in October, I was like, really? Like, that's kind of odd. Like, I I know for a fact he said he wouldn't be ready. Uh, You know, so I don't think he will now unless again, unless he gets re-injured, you know, hurts himself again and then comes back because he has no other alternative. That's when it would happen. But I think right now. I don't think it will because he already had that happen. He was supposed to come back in October and he should have been fighting. Thankfully, you know, uh, he dropped out and and he's still recovering and getting better. So I don't think he will now uh, because he already did it. Agree, Jed? Oh, yeah. Uh, Basically, every single thing that Damon just said. Um, I I don't think Aljamain Sterling gives a shit what people think about him, frankly. So uh, I have no fear that he is going to botch this. By coming back too early, if he was going to have done it, it would have been this time. But he's already been able to walk away from this, unless the UFC straight up says you fight on this date or we're stripping you. Maybe, but even then, I still think Aljo is uh, Aljo has said a lot of really dumb things lately and is not smart in every aspect of life. But I think he's pretty smart about managing his career um, in this regard, and I have no fear that he will screw this up. All right, I'll do one more with the. This is from the Pound Town podcast. With the World Series upon us, which current or past Major League Baseball player would win an MMA fight? I'll take Nolan Ryan off the board. He says. So, Jed, which which baseball player, past or present, do you think would uh, would fare well if they took off the metal spikes and put on the four ounce gloves? Uh, so I'm not a big baseball guy, which makes this also. Why did, is Nolan Ryan like a notorious hard ass? I mean, he, beat, he beat the shit out of Robin Ventura one time. I don't know who Robin Ventura is. So that, <laughs> he was like 48 years old. He plunked a, a 24-year-old upstart. The 24-year-old upstart charges the mound at the older Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan infamously puts him in a headlock and just starts raining right hands oh, over and over again. Picture or that video on Twitter. Uh, I will say this. To the best of my knowledge, Nolan Ryan's old, so this is an awful choice. Um, because whenever he was at his peak would have been long before, uh, probably steroids and mostly just like being physically fit mattered in baseball. Uh, whereas if you meet a baseball player nowadays, they are friggin' jacked. Uh, all of them are enormous. So I suspect that like a random middle reliever from any team would beat the shit out of Nolan Ryan (laughs) because they're probably freaking huge. 
so with that in mind, uh, Aaron Judge seems like a really enormous dude and could probably beat that ass. Um, or, yeah, let's go Aaron Judge. He just seems huge. Uh, so I'm going to go with size. Size, being big and strong is the most underrated of mixed martial arts foundations. And give me Aaron Judge. Damien, you don't strike me as a guy who's watching all these playoff games. And maybe there's a time in your life where you did watch baseball. So maybe you have a thought on this question. I do, because uh, there was a time when I was a very hardcore baseball fan, and much to your chagrin, my team has been, for decades, the New York Yankees. Uh, I grew up in Columbus, I grew up in Ohio, Columbus Clippers were the Yankees AAA team for years, so I grew up watching guys like Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, guys like that coming up through the, through the minor leagues, watching games in Columbus, and then seeing them go to the pros. So I was a big Yankees fan for a lot of time, went to many games in Yankee Stadium. And uh, there was one particular brawl that always stood out to me that just, you know, benches-clearing brawl. He's kind of an old-school, grimy baseball player, Tino Martinez. Dude was a badass back in the day. Uh, I'd say Tino Martinez, man, that's a guy you don't mess with. He was he was just kind of like an old-school, kind of gritty baseball player. He was never the best guy on the team, but he's a guy you wanted on your team. And he was kind of like that enforcer on the field. So, yeah, I would say, I mean, if you're taking Nolan Ryan off, and by the way, Jed, just for your own, uh, you know, your own enjoyment, go watch the video of him beating down Robin Ventura. It's one of the most hilarious videos you will ever watch. He, puts, he literally just puts him in a headlock and just punches his face in, and it's great. Uh, but, yes, I would say that. I would say Tito Martinez is my guy. Uh, there have been some funny ones. Chan Hope Park threw a flying kick once in a, yes. baseball, in a baseball fight, so that might be good. And that's that's taking advantage of your surroundings because baseball players wear spikes on their shoes and Shano Park threw a freaking flying kick to a guy. So that guy might get some bonus points as well. I'm trying to think of who the former Red Sox player was that chart that actually like did a Izzy Izzy Alcantara? I think it was Izzy Alcantara. He got hit by a pitch and then he kicked the dude in the kicked the catcher in the chest. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Where he he back kicked him and he ran out to the mound. Like because usually the 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 catcher comes out to get you. He kicked the catcher and then went after the pitcher. That's right. That's that's a good one. I'm going with Jason. I I will take away Pedro Martinez, that scumbag, (laughs) for throwing Don Zimmer Zimmer on the ground during a fight once upon a time. (laughs) I'll have you know quick. I mean, he, he charged Pedro. Pedro didn't punch him, so I had no problem with that. In fact, I went Halloween that year because it happened like two weeks prior. I went out and visited my friends at the University of Maryland at the age of 18, and I went as Don Zimmer. <laughs> and I wore I wore a, like a pinstripe generic baseball jersey, but I put a pillow underneath, and all night I just ran at people, and they threw me on the ground, and I just slid across the dance floor. I drank for free all night long. I was just like, they were like, can I throw you? I said, sure. You buy me a drink, sure. And that's how I did it. That's how I drank all night at the college bar for free. I just let people throw me, and I slid across the dance floor with my pillow-top Don Zimmer costume. That's pretty genius, actually. I didn't credit. That's pretty genius, actually. Pretty timing. Jason Veritek is the correct answer to this question, by the way. Uh, he would do very well. Although Tina Martinez is an excellent answer. <laughs> yeah, Tina was one of those guys. Yeah, Chandler Park, though. I give him credit for the flying kick, though. That was good. Absolutely. So there you go. We're going to do this again next week. And then back two weeks. Fight week for UFC 268. That is when the eight-person tournament will begin. And I believe maybe early next week. And we're trying to plan out the logistics. But as of now, the plan is to go on the to go live on the MMA Fighting Instagram page to draft out the brackets for this eight-person tournament. So maybe we'll bring oh, some people in and uh, we can talk some smack. 
but it's all going to go down. First first matchup, UFC 268 Fight Week. The finale will be the week after UFC 269. So we'll have some good stuff to talk about in between those events, and we'll cap it off in a big way following the final UFC pay-per-view event of the year. But until then, everybody, more raucous roundtable action on the program next week leading into the tournament. But until then, for Damon, for Jed, I am Mike Hack. We'll see you back here once again between the links. Get ready for a weekend full of incredible fights. Fight Circus November 5th. Tune in. <laughs>